Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. The holiday season is many things, many wonderful things. But for some people, the season can be profoundly lonely. Our holiday culture is focused on togetherness, families gathering together, parents and children making memories. For those whose lives and families don't fit that mold, for whatever reason, the holidays can feel very isolating and, yes, depressing. This hour, we're going to talk about some of the challenges of the holiday season. We'll get some advice for how to cope, and we'll also get some ideas for how to find your own joy and meaning. Speaking of joy, Joy Thorson of Cedar (laughs) Falls found a way to share some joy when she found herself alone one Christmas. Hello, Joy. Hi there, Charity. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And this was a Christmas day many years ago when you were alone. What were the circumstances? Yes, it was many years ago, and um, I was going through a divorce at the time, and the my girls were at their father's house for the day and coming back the next day, so I didn't want to leave town to go to other family that would be driving. I didn't want to be gone when they came home, so I found myself all by myself in my house with nobody to talk to. Do you remember how you felt? I was very sad. When I got up that morning, I was very sad, and and it just seemed so empty. I just really felt emptiness. What did you decide to do? Well, I decided I needed to do something about that because I couldn't make it through the whole day with that feeling. Mm -hmm. So I love Christmas, and I have many Christmas sweaters, et cetera. So I donned my Christmas attire. I put on Christmas socks. I put on a Santa hat. I put on Christmas bells I had around my neck and a shirt that said joy on it. And I went to a local nursing home and just walked up to the front desk and said, is there anyone here that is alone today? And most of the residents are gone. They're off with family or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there are a few that didn't have anybody to spend the day with. I said, well, who can I talk to? So they matched me up with Margaret. And that was the start of our day together. Wow. What did you and Margaret do? Well, she was unsure of who I was at first because (laughs) I was just, I made sure I was smiling and just really going to put, I was going to pretend to be really happy and cheerful and hopefully brighten her day a little bit. So we talked, we started out being a little cautious of each other. And then I said, hey, let's go for a ride in your wheelchair. So we got in her wheelchair. We went up and down the halls, maybe a little too fast because I wanted, I said, hey, do you like to pop wheelies here? Or, (laughs) you know, we're going to have some fun. We could put some streamers on here. And she laughed. And then we talked about her Christmases past and we listened to some Christmas music together. Wow. And then how did you feel? (laughs) My heart, it sounds like the Grinch, but my heart started to grow. And I just felt this warmth inside to see her smile. Somebody who was very unhappy when I walked in the door, and now she was smiling and laughing and just was so happy that someone paid attention to her. And it really filled my heart up probably way more than it filled hers. Well, in in many ways, the two of you were in a very similar situation. Right. And I was mobile 
and able to do something where she was really isolated and there was really not much else she could do. So it was kind of fun to go in. And then when she asked, when I was getting ready to leave, she goes, now, what is your name? And I just turned around, looked at her and I said, let's just say Christmas joy was here with you today. And then I left. So I never saw Margaret again, but I know how much my heart filled up that day. I went home and I was happy. I was just realizing that I can bring joy to other people. And that is what this is all about. That's what life is about. It's just to make, I like to make other people smile. That's become my mission now. I was in the hospital recently and uh, was having some surgery and it was my goal to make every medical person coming near me smile. That was my goal. Every nurse, every doctor, every everybody. And uh, I came pretty close. (laughs) So it sounds like in many ways, this was a, a pivotal moment for you. Do you feel like it changed you? It really was, Charity. It was amazing. At that moment, I, I felt that warmth. I was still working full time, so I wasn't able to do a lot of volunteer work. But when I retired, I wanted to return to that warmth, that feeling of, of giving. So I found a volunteer opportunity at North Star Community Services, and I helped them with some of their musicals. And uh, then I volunteered at the facility and just bringing smiles to those folks' faces. Just, I come home every day and I said, this is not fair. I'm having way too much fun. (laughs) This is not not an effort at all. I just, they just filled me up. And then COVID hit. I had to stop for a while, but I hope to get back to that soon. Yeah, I hope so too. Joy, thank you so much for sharing your story and for sharing all those smiles. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure, Charity. I hope you have a wonderful holiday and everybody out there listening. You too. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Joy Thorson of Cedar Falls. This hour, we're talking about loneliness during the holiday season. And of course, there are many reasons someone might be alone during the holidays. And we'll talk about a lot of those as the hour goes on. You're also welcome to share your story and tell us how you've learned to cope or not, you can call 866-780-9100. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. And older people often do find themselves alone for a variety of reasons. Emily Allen is Interim President and Senior Vice President of Programs for the AARP Foundation. She is on the line with me now. Hello, Emily. Hello, Charity. So great to be with you today. Well, wonderful to talk with you. And There, of course, are many reasons that an older person might find themselves alone on the holidays. And, and of course, health problems can be one of those reasons, difficulty in traveling, the way that families change over time. But loneliness isn't just limited to the holiday season. And and loneliness can be a really important problem for people. Can you tell me a little bit about what we know about how loneliness and isolation can cause problems for people? Well, I'm so glad that you're doing this segment because it is, as you said, while it kind of becomes top of mind to a certain degree at the holidays, it really is an issue that people face every day throughout the year. Um, Particularly, we know that older adults, um, there's, there's over 17 million older adults that struggle on a daily basis with social isolation and loneliness. And we know, in fact, that that can have devastating consequences on their health and well-being. Um, we, we use the statistic that says that being socially isolated and lonely has the same negative health consequences as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 
So just let that sink in. Uh, just And we know how, how bad smoking can be for you, but it's the same with social isolation and loneliness. It, it can lead to higher rates of dementia. It can rate, um, lead to um, more susceptibility to viruses, heart disease. I mean, it really can have a devastating consequence on a, you know, a person as they age. So we know that it can be devastating, and yet it feels inevitable for a lot of people. What can we do to address this? Sure. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting because, um, you know, there's, there's social isolation and loneliness, and they are very related, but they are, <clears throat> but they are different as well. When we think of social isolation, we think about that quantifiable measure. It's the number of people in your network. It's the quality of how and how often you interact with them. It could even be, you know, your the, the availability of transportation in your area. On the flip side, loneliness is that subjective feeling of being alone and being isolated. I use the the idea that, you know, you could be in a room of 100 people and still feel very lonely. And so when we think about what we need to do about it, we have to think about what are the root causes. Is it really social isolation? Is it a disconnect from friends and family, as you said? There can be a lot of root causes. Um, it can be everything from, as you said, a health crisis that, that changes your routine. Suddenly you were going out and about and suddenly you're, you're having to stay at home much more. Um, it could be you take on a caregiving responsibility and slowly your network kind of you know fades away, if you will, because you're so focused on caregiving. As we heard from Joy, you know, it, it could be, you know, divorce, death of a spouse or partner. And so we really have to think about what's at the root of the reasons why you may be feeling socially isolated or lonely, and then really look at, at addressing those. I, I have spent a lot of my career looking at, you know, the financial security, and we don't think twice about making a financial plan as we age, but we don't often think about making a social connection plan. And so we really encourage people, whether it's at the holidays or throughout the year, to make sure that they are really practicing being socially connected. And so we talked, you talked a little bit about volunteering, um, talk a little bit about, you know, how does technology play into that? Um, but it really is about making a social plan um, so that you remain socially connected. Okay. So when you say a social plan, give me a concrete example. What does that look like? Sure. So I, I think as an example, um, you know, if if you're feeling socially isolated or lonely, it can it can feel um, it, it can be tough to think about how do I get back into being connected in my community or connected back to family. And you don't necessarily have to go from zero to 100. I think, you know, part of the planning is just to say, OK, this week, what's one thing I can do? to make, to feel more connected. Maybe I'll call a, a, a family member or someone who I haven't talked to for a while, a former colleague. Um, maybe I will look into volunteering somewhere. Um, you know, and, and I love what Joy said too about the fact that she was feeling lonely. And so she reached out to, to help someone else who was feeling lonely. And by doing that, she then helped herself. So I think those are examples of just thinking every day or planning ahead for a week of what can I do to stay more connected this week. And we also have to shake the stigma of, of talking about loneliness. It's okay to admit exactly. that you're lonely and you need help, right? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. That's one thing we've always said that, you know, in ARP Foundation, as we have really focused in on, you know, what are those solutions? One of the biggest challenges was finding individuals who were really feeling this way, were feeling isolated or lonely, because they weren't necessarily raising their hand and saying, gee, I need help, right? And right. so it, a big part of it is to destigmatize and make it okay to say, hey, I've gone through a life change and, you know, the course I was on is not the course I'm still on. And so I need, I need some help here. So one of the things that Emily, we, we're, um, we are out of yeah. time, but thank you no so worries. much for talking with me. Absolutely. Thank you, Charity. Emily Allen is Interim President and Senior Vice President of Programs at the AARP Foundation. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. For some, this may truly be the ha happiest time of the year, but the images of families spending time together, the sense that the season should be filled with joy, can be painful to those whose lives don't fit that cookie-cutter mold. The holidays can be particularly challenging for parents who share custody of their kids. Pat Kinney remembers that loneliness well. He was a reporter for the Waterloo Courier for many years and is now the oral historian for the Grout Museum. He's on the line with me now. Hello, Pat. Hey, Charity. How are you? Good. Thank you for being here. And what do you remember about that first Christmas after your divorce? Well, the first one I think I spent watching the Northern Exposure Marathon, and then I go, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, and there was a Christmas dinner in town uh, that I'd, you know, written advance stories about for a couple of years, and I knew the organizers, and I thought, well, I can sit here and not do anything, or I can do something about it, help other people, and maybe make myself feel good too. So. I volunteered to be a driver uh, for the dinner and um, and deliver meals and ended up doing that for about 20 years, as long as the, the organizers at that time kept doing it. And it, I was able to do double duty because it was a great story with all the people that from all over town that were coming in. So, it, you know, it, it served a double purpose, made me feel good. And. I got a decent story out of it, too. Absolutely. Year. I think a, a lot of people who are alone for a holiday, no matter what the reason, think, oh, I can just distract myself with television, which, you know, may be an, an OK strategy. But do you remember what made you think, I never want to be in this situation again? You just feel empty, you know. It's just, you know, there's probably a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's like that day is kind of a, you know, kind of hangs over you like a pall and, you know, you just kind of got to keep moving and you got to remember there's other people who are in the same boat or worse than you, you know, I'm, you know, that the, the, the dinner they've had, they had, you know, one year they had a fellow who was, uh, I think he was on work release, supervised probation and he had his Christmas with his kids at the dinner while he was there, you know, and they were, one year they had uh, the year all the, a big bulk of the Bosnian community came to Waterloo and they were totally displaced and and they needed a place to go and they and the dinner accommodated them. You just got to 
you're not alone. It, it feels empty when you're sitting there by yourself. But once you get out with people, you realize, hey, we're all in the same boat. Yeah. So being a driver, volunteering in that way, that must have given you a lot of quality one-on-one time with people that you'd never met before. Yeah, it sure did. It was it was a lot of fun, you know, because I mean, like, and then the other thing is, you know, you see some people's living situations too, and some of them weren't the greatest, but you give them a little pep and they were, they were happy to see you and it makes you feel good too. Yeah. Without, I, I don't want to, you know, violate anybody's confidentiality, but is there a, a particular story, a particular memory that sticks with you? Well, there was one lady who used to play the piano at the dinner every year. She worked at Black's department store in Waterloo. And the first year they did it, there was only about 50 people there. And they, it grew to like five, 600 meals served. And she told the organizer, this is pretty dead. And he said, we'll do something about it. So she played Christmas songs like every year <laughs> till she passed away. For oh, beautiful. A couple decades. Yeah, it was nice. cool. And um, yeah, so it, it was neat. And, you know, one fellow like, found out who I was <laughs> and he wanted my autograph, which was really dumb, but you know. <laughs> it's like, no, no, I'm talking to you, not the other way around. Right. I don't know, Pat, I'd take your autograph. Um, <laughs> so in, in getting your, yourself out of the house, you got yourself busy, got yourself moving, which I'm sure those were both keys to getting through what could have been a very long, lonely, empty day. But by helping others and and making those personal connections, how did that change the experience of the holiday for you? It made me feel good, and it gave me kind of a positive head of steam to when I was going to see my family for, you know, my portion of the holiday break. It just gave me a good feeling. I kept on rolling. It made me, put me in a good frame of mind so I could be a good host for my family when it was our turn to enjoy our our part of the holiday break. I think it's also important to point out that as a reporter, you were working on a holiday. Somebody has to work the holidays. So you were probably giving other people the day off to spend time with their families. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing was, uh, you had to be careful because I was on call if there was any breaking news. I mean, there was fires, there was a shooting one year, and uh. you had to had to do that stuff too. But And it's sort of like... You really get a good slice of humanity working a day like that because you see great stuff and you see tragedy and it's like it's just the whole fabric of life, you know, and hope people hope for better circumstances for the people you encounter that are not having as good a time. And that makes you feel better, too, because you need to turn it away from all the self-pity stuff that's going on inside you, too. Right. Right. Well, Pat, thank you so much for sharing your story and for sharing so much of your time over the years. I'm sure that made a real difference to a lot of people. Yeah, it was it was great. The challenge is not to make it a one-off. You got to find where you can make your impact. So, anyway. Pat, thanks a lot. Thanks, Charity. Take care. Pat Kinney, who was a reporter for the Waterloo Courier for many years and is now the oral historian for the Grout Museum. This hour we're talking about loneliness during the holiday season, ways to cope and also part just 
we're going to talk about why it's so very difficult for a lot of people this time of year. Jacob Priest is here with me now. He is an associate professor in the University of Iowa College of Education and a clinician in the UIHC LBGTQ plus clinic. Lots of letters there. <laughs> Jacob, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. And Pat's story resonated with me. I have not been through a divorce. I've not been through some of the very hard things that, that Pat has been through. But I do remember the first holiday that I spent by myself. I had no idea how hard it was going to be. I I didn't have a television at the time, so I had a book to read. I was so miserable and so lonely, and there was nothing wrong in my life. I was going to spend the next day with my family, but I was just, I had to work that day, and then I had a whole long evening all by myself <laughs> with a very sad book. It was a terrible choice. <laughs> Tess of the Durbervilles was not the right choice. But I was I was shocked by how hard that was, and I think a lot of people do uh, get surprised by how difficult it is because it's just a date on the calendar in many ways. But if it's been an important part of your life, suddenly that date by yourself can become really hard. Let's talk about why that's so difficult. Well, I, you know, when we form close relationships with folks, we have rituals of connection. And often those are structured around the holidays, right? We are really busy all the time, work, kids, and you know, school, whatever it might be. And then we have these places where we get to take a break. And often what rejuvenates us the most is those connections, those, you know, the memories pass. Do you remember when we did this on this holiday or this? And that helps us foster those connections. And so when all of a sudden that's removed, it's not only the, oh, I remember all of the good times we've had on those days, hopefully, or, and it's like, oh, and I'm not there to build new memories. I'm not there. I'm missing out on all those activities that I love and enjoy. And that can be what, you know, if you're alone or isolated or lonely on the holidays, that's what can make it so hard. Right. Well, and and if it's a holiday that many, many people celebrate, for example, Christmas, a lot of businesses are closed. Yeah. So you are home alone. Yeah. You might only have a book, a sad <laughs> book to read. <laughs> You know what? Go to the library. Yeah, Get something happier. Exactly. This is exactly. my advice to you. Of course, uh, um, we all we all have smartphones now. There's there's better ways to distract oneself. But uh, you know, even even as Pat was talking about sitting down with a marathon of a television show that you love, that emptiness can still be consuming because you still have plenty of time to think and to feel alone. Yeah, I mean, distraction can be useful when trying to deal with feelings of loneliness. But if that's our only go to it gets worn out pretty quick. What I loved about the stories that were shared is how they, you know, loneliness makes us feel like not wanting to do anything, not go out. It's that cycle that kind of, you know, just feeds itself. But, you know, both Pat and I'm going to call her Christmas Joy because I love that (laughs) Christmas Joy um, did something that kind of went against how those loneliness feelings were, were, they were experiencing those loneliness feelings. They went out and did something. And I think that is so key. Distraction may be useful. If that's your only option on a holiday where you're disconnected from people you love, distraction may be okay. But if that's going to be your only coping mechanism, it's probably not going to sustain you over the long term. Well, and and of course, by connecting with someone, they help themselves 
almost as much as they were helping the person that they were reaching out to. So I want to go back to what I was talking about with Emily Allen. I think a lot of us do feel a stigma. If I'm alone on the holidays, there must be something wrong with me. I don't want to advertise that I'm alone on the holidays. But if you share with people that you're going to be alone on the holiday, you could probably find other people who are too. Yeah, right? It does. You know, there is that stigma of I am alone. I need help or I want to connect. Now, sometimes that doesn't feel right. Sometimes, oh, we if we're doing everything right, we should be able to just have that. But that's not the reality for many of us. And so I think that when you yourself speak up and say, I don't have anyone to connect with on this holiday and I want to connect, we give other people permission to do the same thing. Because often, you know, just like Christmas Joy said, there's somebody else out there who may not have the opportunity to speak out or move or go in the way that you are. And by doing that, you give them permission to not only acknowledge that they need that connection, but as Joy talked about, as Pat talked about, you feel that sense of connection too. Not only are you giving, but you're also getting back. Let's. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the the different scenarios that lead people to be alone because those scenarios also build the issues that we're dealing with yeah. emotionally. Um, and and I want to bring up both Joy and Pat were going through a divorce. They were both parents who were sharing custody of their children. I shared on Facebook that we were going to be talking about this. And so many of the people who responded to that post are going through that very thing right now or went through it in the past. Maybe they thought they had a plan. Danielle said that my first Christmas without my kids because of our custody agreement was sheer hell. I thought I would be cool and book myself an Airbnb on a yacht at Hilton Head. It turned out to be a fishing boat with a little climb under bed in a Disney resort. There's a statue that played Christmas music and it was kind of broken. So it was, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Christmas and Goofy's voice on repeat for 24 hours. And because it was a Disney resort, I was surrounded by the sounds of happy families and children laughing. It was exactly the opposite of what I've needed. And the depression was the deepest I've ever experienced. So now what I do is host Christmas Day, Friends Day, which is great. But, you know, she made a plan <laughs> and she tried to carry it out and it it didn't work. So I mean, this is a time where both parents and kids are going to be going through a lot of feelings, right? Yeah. Well, and, you know, to Danielle's story, there's a difference between changing location and changing connection, yeah. right? You know, sometimes we feel like, okay, if I just get out of the house and go somewhere different, I'm going to be fine, right? <laughs> Except sometimes it ends up not being what you think it is. It's a Disney resort instead of a yacht in Hilton Head. Right, right. Which <laughs> that is in itself is a, is a big letdown. But, you know, how has she responded since then? She's responded by creating a different mode of connection, a different says, OK, I don't need to leave where I am. I need to bring people to me. And that part of creating those new experiences, new rituals around the holiday is so important. Right. It may be given the custody arrangement, you may have Christmas every other year and then maybe it's not on the day of, but you get to celebrate Christmas on a different day and finding out way to, you know, OK, this is what I'm going to do the day of because I could be alone. I could be isolated. And thinking about that is going to make that day better, easier, hopefully, and then also make it so you're not so much pressure on the next day. 
these unrealistic expectations of like, this has got to be the best Christmas ever. And for kids, um, you know, they're they're going through these big changes, too. And even if one of their parents is making holiday magic for them, there's still going to be a sense of loss for a lot of kids. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, partners, spouses who are divorcing or are divorced and have kids, um, I think that's really what you want to focus your holidays around. Right. Sometimes. The conflict tension is so much that, you know, getting the two parents together may not be a good idea. But if you can work towards a collaborative process, especially around the holidays, I think that always works out better for the kids. Yeah. There was a story a friend of a friend told me about a family that was going through a divorce and the child in the family was – had convinced them to spend the holiday together because she believed in Santa Claus and didn't think that Santa would come. And then I found out how old the child was, and I thought, I'm not sure she believes in Santa Claus, but she was using this story to keep her parents together at least for one night and one day. And that that just speaks to that that sense of loss and fear of that loss. Yeah, yeah. And- and it may be the case that it's probably it may be best for the 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 parents not to be together. Right. And if that's the case, I think having you know conversations with your kids about hey, you're going to have a special day with your mom and then we're going to have our special day together and then connecting with them around them and telling them about those expectations and saying what that means and what that doesn't mean is is an important, you know, th- way to communicate to kids around the holidays, especially if it's going to be, you know, the first time with divorced parents or not the typical pattern that the kids are used to. Well, and I want to go back to what Emily was saying earlier as well about creating a plan for connection. That's what I hear you saying, too. You you make the plan for the holiday, which is something that we all do, but also to make that plan for yourself. Because even if you've got a great holiday planned with your kids for later in the week, that day is still going to come and Mm -hmm. it's still going to possibly hit pretty hard. Yeah. And hopefully that plan can include you being a part of that day, even if it's virtually, right? I think that having some flexibility around how you participate, given the context of of the relationship you're in, I, I think is really key. All right. Well, we are going to talk about many other scenarios that might lead someone to be alone during the holiday season. We'll also talk about family strife and estrangement, which I know is something that, that of course, causes a lot of pain year round. But again, particularly during the holiday season can be extremely difficult. And you are welcome to join the conversation. Share your stories, share your advice for others, share your questions. You can give us a call at 866-780-9. 9100 You can also send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. With me, Jacob Priest, associate professor in the University of Iowa College of Education and a clinician at the UIHC LGBTQ plus clinic. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.
This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. For many people, this is the happiest time of the year, but for others, it can be a very difficult time of the year. Or there are those happy moments followed by those moments of loneliness and isolation. It can be tough if your family or your friends don't really fit that cookie-cutter mold that we see all around us, these images of togetherness during the holiday season. So this hour, we're talking about the challenges of loneliness and isolation during the holidays. You are welcome to join the conversation with your stories, your questions, your solutions. I know a lot of people have figured out how to do this, and you're welcome to share. 866-780-9100. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. With me is Jacob Priest, associate professor in the University of Iowa College of Education and a clinician in the UIHC LGBTQ plus clinic. And uh, Rayanne shares this. She says, My holidays were due to divorce after 19 years. My kids weren't with me every moment. I lost my family traditions, many of the people I spent my holiday with, and it was constant reminders that there were many special parts of my kids' lives that I was no longer welcome in. The grief was sometimes unbearable. I spent a lot of moments crying in the Hy-Vee parking lot talking with my support group online. I spent the time alone becoming really comfortable in my own presence. I spent time planning for the time that I would have my kiddos over the holidays. The best advice I got was to create my own new traditions. So I did and we did. Honestly, it's all a bit of a blur now, but I'm so thankful for family and friends who made sure to check on me and welcome me to their own holidays Even if I didn't go, it meant so much just knowing that I had a place to go if I needed. And now I try to give back to those who are going through their first holidays alone. Rayanne, thank you so much for sharing that story. And again, many, many people have gone through this. Jay from Des Moines says, as an introvert who prefers solitude during the holidays, I've taken to only celebrating the solstice in a very generic and simple way. I enjoy some summer sausage with cheese and crackers. I enjoy a beverage of my own choosing, usually a good stout or porter. And I try to use my artistic skills to affirm those tendencies within me. Jay, thanks for sharing. And I mean, people, people, come up with their own plans. Maybe it's volunteering. Maybe it's something else entirely. But um, again, you're welcome to join the conversation with your stories, 866-780-9100. And Jacob, I do want to turn the conversation to family strife and and family estrangement. Um, I know with your work in the LGBTQ plus clinic, we know that a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus community are not accepted by their families or that coming out creates a separation. Of course, a lot of other people have a lot of other reasons for having a difficult time with their families. And and that can make the holidays really hard. Yeah. You know, we talk about loneliness, isolation, you know, and um, for, you know, being alone is not necessarily loneliness, right? Like Jay said right. about uh, celebrating the winter solstice with a porter or stout. I love that, right? And you can also be in a room full of people who you love and you hope that they love you and feel totally alone, Yeah. right? Especially, you know, when someone is not affirming of your identity, that can be really hard, right? So let's say you, 
you know, the name and pronouns you use now are different from the ones you were given when you were born. And all of a sudden you're going to a family space where nobody's recognizing that. That sense of loneliness can really be exacerbated by those interactions. Even though they may seem small to the people you love, they're a big deal to that person. Yeah. And going back to that space can be traumatic for for people. So, you know, we want to go and see our family for the holidays. But if if you're going to be dealing with something that is going to make you feel like you're not accepted or less than, how do you cope with that? Uh, you know, I think with with any holiday, hopefully you're having a conversation beforehand. And if there has been that tension, that frustration, I think it's okay to say, I want to be here and I want to be respected. And this is what respected looks like for me. And if, and if, if we can't do that, Let's find, you know what, I'm going to plan to do something different. Let's find a different way to, to make this happen. Because if I can't show up and I can't be affirmed in who I am or there's going to be tension or constant reminders that you're not okay with who I am, that's not going to be a healthy space to put yourself in. But if they can say, okay, you know what, we want you here, we're going to respect you and we're going to do the best we can, I think sometimes that's when you say yes. That's when you go. Is it a good idea to structure your time? Because a lot of these holiday visits are very unstructured. Come, spend three days, you know, <laughs> sleep in your childhood bedroom. And, and that can be really challenging for people. So is, is there a, a way we've talked a lot about making plans for connection? Is, is that a good idea to make a plan for extracting yourself if you need to extract yourself or for giving yourself the space that you might need for your own mental well-being. Yeah, the the social connection plan should, I think, involve a couple of things, right? And I think Christmas Joy hit it on the head when she talked about she went to, to connect with somebody and that conversation really wasn't flowing. And then what did they do? They did something. They did an activity and that activity actually fostered the connection. And I think with our social connection plans, if that's what we want to call them, we have the expectation that we socially connect by sitting and having a conversation. And oftentimes those conversations don't have any of the interactive connection around it. And so we're just connecting about or finding things that we either agree on or don't agree on. And that can be tough. But if you do something, if you have an activity like you know, decorating a gingerbread house. Not a lot of people have big opinions about decorating a gingerbread house, and it fosters a sense of interactive connection that can make the conversations easier. And I always think, too, all plans should be opt-in, opt-out. If you are the one hosting for the holidays and you want to say we're doing this and this and this, we would love to have you at all of that, but you might not be able to be or want to be there, and that's okay. That is actually going to create a much better space for the connection, the traditions, the experiences and memories that you're going to create. And so I think that if you're going to build in a plan of social connection, you also need a plan where you're not going to be just forced to talk to people all the time. Okay, so plan activities, yeah. <laughs> do some things. Yeah. And even if you're the guest, you might be able to instigate that. Exactly. And say, hey, I brought this amazing game. I want everybody to try it. Exactly. Exactly, right? In my family, we have a holiday bake-off every year, right? And in my family, we have a lot of different beliefs and ideas, and we don't always agree on them. 
but do you know how we, well we get along together when we're trying to beat the other team in the Bake Off? It makes it so much fun and we look forward to it. And it's a very low stakes, low pressure situation. Now, for some people, it's just never going to be easy to yeah. be home. And and some people have had abusive pasts mm-hmm. and there are very, very complicated issues. And so then you're stuck with this decision. Do I go home to be with people that I love on the holidays, knowing that I may be dealing with past trauma or that, that people may find the opportunity to be emotionally abusive or something like that? Or do I stay home and then you're faced with the holiday alone? I mean, that that can be a real rock and a hard place for people. Yeah. And so I think, too, you know, when we think about going home, we think about a pretty narrow definition of family, right? Like we want to go to maybe the home we grew up in, and that may not actually be a home. That may not be a safe place to be. Mm-hmm. And so part of that, too, is I think thinking more broadly about family, right? We can create our own families, like people have Friendsgiving, or I think um, one of the stories was about like Friends Christmas. right? And also you may have uncles, aunts, cousins that maybe you've lost contact with, but who would really be warm and accepting to you and making those connections, even if it's not with, you know, parents or siblings, I think can be a really great, useful way to feel connected around the holidays. How do you negotiate that? Because families are so complicated. And so if you choose not to go home, you're going to have to tell somebody that you're not going home. And there may be a person in the family that you would love to spend the holiday with, but you can't because that also the whole package is is something that you can't deal with. We've talked about making a plan for connection. How do you how do you plan for that negotiation or plan for that communication. Yeah, I think that it's um, about being clear in that you're setting a boundary, but also welcoming the people in. And what do I mean by that? It's about saying, I'm going to go do this for the holiday because I don't think it'd be the best thing for me or or potentially y'all if I'm there. And I was wondering if we could do this at a different time in a different place, if that's something that you feel comfortable with. And You may let, you know, some people who are really close to you down, but good relationships aren't built on just always saying yes to whatever, you know, these important people want in your life. It's about saying, I want to be connected to you, but I still need to take care of me. We've talked about the Friends Christmas or the Friends Thanksgiving. And of course, a lot of us, especially people who are have difficult relationships with their families, have created a chosen family, yeah. friends who really fill those roles in your life and in your heart. But those people also have families too. <laughs> so, I mean, if you want to have a friend's Thanksgiving, you might not be able to have it on the day of Thanksgiving. Or a friend's Christmas, you may not be able to have it on Christmas Day. So then we're back to, oh, there's still that date on the calendar looming. But let's talk about chosen families, because that really is an important uh, part of the lives that so many of us have built. Yeah, you know, and I think I think it might have been Danielle who said, on the day of, now I make plans for the day that's coming up. And I right. think that can be a great way to cope, especially the day of. But when it comes to kind of chosen family or Friendsgiving or Friends Christmas, I think that's really key. Many people 
have moved away long distances from family. And um, that connection that was there, it may only be on the day I can only, I have work off here. But if you're just seeing people on the days that you have work off or it's like a break, that's not a lot. It's not a lot of connection that you're going to need to not feel lonely. So I think too, we have a, a close group of friends who all of our families live pretty far away from us. So we actually have Friendsgiving in January. Why? Well, because we're all going to go visit family in different states across the holidays, and then it's going to get really cold and really gray in Iowa, and we need something to look forward to. Yeah. So it becomes this new exciting tradition that allows us both to have a f- uh, you know, our family we were born to, and also this family of choice. Yeah. Well, and Thanksgiving and Christmas are really close together, mm-hmm. which is, I think, problematic. <laughs> it's certainly a problem in my life. Um, and of course, you know, as as parents, as children age, their lives change and they start making connections with other people. They may choose a life partner and now they've got two Christmases or four Christmases (laughs) that they they need to choose from. So let's talk about that transition, because I do think that's a tough one for a lot of people. As their children become adults and become more independent, those traditions have to change again. Yeah, it's it is. You know, sometimes we have this belief that traditions must be stagnant. The best traditions are adaptable. Right. And, you know, if you're coming to a point where maybe you want to hold the holidays at your house when your your parents, you know, or your aunt and uncle may have been the ones that are always in in control of that. I think it's okay to say, hey, you have done this so much. We've really appreciated. We're going to take some of the things that you gave us and apply it here. And do you want to come with us? Because I think, again, that both end message is we're going to set this boundary because this is important to us. And if you want to join us, you're welcome. Helps facilitate and build those new traditions. And as the the parent who maybe was the person who made that holiday magic for your family for so long, you might need to let go. You're not going to be the center of that in your children's lives anymore. Yeah, and, and that can be... Um, something that can be really sad and hard for some people. And it can also be an opportunity. It can also be an opportunity to be be a participant in the traditions in a new way, right? Often the person that's responsible is doing a lot of the planning, a lot of the, you know, wrapping or cooking or all that kind of stuff. And if you can take a step back, you can be present with those grandkids in a totally different way. (laughs) You get the break now. Um, I have a couple of messages from people who talk about their solo holidays. Lynn says, what I do on the solo holidays varies. If the weather isn't awful, I take a long walk and enjoy nature. I listen to the radio or some Christmas music. At some point in the day, I'll fix a kind of fancy meal, maybe a lobster tail or a Cornish hen. They're perfect for just one person. Uh, We also heard from Harvey, a favorite healing way I've experienced being alone on a holiday was to notice the loneliness, all that I was missing, feeling the loss and crying as I let myself feel it. After a good cry, I could enjoy a fire in the fireplace, cooking good food and other pleasures. I was able to provide as my mind was free to actually think about what I could appreciate. The thread that I see through everything we've talked about, Jacob, is that we really have to spend some time with ourselves and understand our feelings, acknowledge our feelings, 
and and really know why this is difficult. This is a self-exploration, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, we often think about the solution to social isolation and loneliness is connection. But connection that requires us to give up a, a big part of who we are isn't the kind of connection that's going to help us not feel lonely anymore. And sometimes the best way to do that is to connect with ourselves, is to understand those feelings of pain and loneliness and having that good cry before we start the fire. Because in doing that, we kind of center ourselves and we realize how we want to connect. And when we do that, we can build those types of relationships that have that real longevity and meaning. And that sounds like good advice for every day of the year. I, I think so. <laughs> I think so. All right. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for talking with me. And I hope you have a lovely holiday hey, season. Hey, thank you, Charity. And that Thanksgiving in January, that's brilliant. <laughs> I, I'm already trying to think how I can incorporate that into my life because January is not my favorite month. Thank you so much. Thanks. Jacob Priest is Associate Professor in the University of Iowa College of Education and a clinician in the UIHC LGBTQ Plus Clinic. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. Our producers are Danny Gear, Caitlin Troutman, and Samantha McIntosh. Our associate producer is Natalie Dunlap. We get technical support often from Tony Sarabia. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. You can get in touch with us anytime. Email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. And of course, you can always listen to our podcasts. Just search for Talk of Iowa wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Charity Nebbe. This is Talk of Iowa.